What's working on purpose anyway? Each week we ponder the answer to this question. People ache for meaning and purpose at work, to contribute their talents passionately, and know their lives really matter. They crave being part of an organization that inspires them and helps them grow into realizing their highest potential. Business can be such a force for good in the world, elevating humanity. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration to help usher in this world we all want. Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Hi there. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, which is home base for me. If you don't know me yet, I'm a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose, organizational logotherapist, inspirational speaker, social scientist, and author. I help companies discover and articulate their purpose to thread it through their culture and operations. And I work with organizations to develop inspirational leaders who create cultures where people actually want to come to work and do their best. And I provide programs like the Grab Your Gusto that enable individual team members to discover and unleash their passion and purpose at work to catalyze fulfillment, engagement, and productivity. You'll learn more about me and how we can work together at EliseCortez.com or Gusto-Now.com. Let me thank my partner and sponsor, WorkProud. We are a perfect collaboration. Everyone wants to know they matter and that the work they do is meaningful and appreciated. WorkProud helps companies do just that through their mobile platform that is built to encourage employees to share stories and recognize each other's contribution. WorkProud empowers HR and business leaders to help create company cultures where all employees are inspired to feel proud of their work and proud of their company. Learn more about WorkProud and a recent study they've commissioned about pride in the workplace at workproud.com forward slash Dr. Elise Cortez. With us today is Dr. William Smith. He's the Director of Organizing for Development and International Institute. He has a long career background helping international organizations like the World Bank and United Nations, among others, with growth and development issues. He's also spent decades studying and practicing in the field of purpose and other areas and has written the book, The Creative Power, Transforming Ourselves, Our Organizations, and Our World. He's also written several scholarly articles, including Making the Invisible Visible, a dynamic interplay between purpose, power, and leadership in, on, in organizing complexity. Today, we'll be talking about where his fascination with purpose and his appreciation influencing control model arose and how he's applying his current work today to help organizations. He's also going to be sharing just some of his fresh off the press new discoveries that he has found with us. He joins us today from Richmond, Virginia. Bill, welcome to Working on Purpose. It's good to be here. It's wonderful to have you. It's just amazing to get to be with a mind and heart like yours. So appreciate um, Dr. Claude Coutier in Canada who brought us together. Thank you, Claude. Amazing talent scout that he is. Good. So to get us started here, there's so much, and I really feel like I need to call you Dr. William Smith because you've accomplished so much, but we've agreed that we're, I'm going to call you Bill, so I'll, I will be obedient. I will be obedient. Um, but, but I want to dive in, if we can, Bill, to your magnificent background. You've really done some extraordinary things in your life. So help our, our listeners and viewers understand just where your work began and some of the things that you've done, like for the World Bank and the United Nations. Yeah, well, I think the first thing I'd, I'd like to say to um, our audience is that all of this sounds very great, but it's really been based on uh, simplicity and um, what I call natural systems, which is following nature. So mm -hmm. the good thing for all of us is what I'm jumping in a way to the end, but 
just so you know where we're going, is that what it tells us about each of us is that each of us is a whole system. Um, we have born with everything that we need. It's just that all the stuff that we need is arranged differently in each of us. And part of our life is to discover um, that difference and where that is an asset and where it's useful. And so a, a lot of the things I, I've done have, have been more accepting that I didn't know at the time that's what I was doing. That's just, again, how, how my arrangement of parts ended up. And so then it's circumstances start having an, an influence on um, how you arrange those things or how do you discover their arrangements. And mine was a fairly large one in that I was born uh, during World War II. I'm English and I, I lived in Liverpool and uh, in uh, April of 1941 we were bombed every night for four months and now you'd think that would be uh, terrible circumstances and so on and in some ways it was but what it taught me about life um, is really what accounts for um, how I arranged my parts and what I was able to do with them is that uh, humans are tremendously resilient. Um, you know, Liverpool was bombed hoping to put people into submission and to um, accept uh, exceptions of defeat. It did exactly the opposite. Um, people were um, found their courage, people found uh, their support for each other and you ask many of uh, people who are now um, uh, at the end of their lives um, what the effect the war had and then some people tell you it's the best time of their life they've never felt more alive mm -hmm. than when they were about to die mm -hmm. um, and that without my knowing it uh, that had a tremendous influence on me and the first one is I think it accounts for my going global that you know I always had in me and part of that was that I was also uh, born in Liverpool which is a port which has a very cosmopolitan uh, reach but we also have some very ordinary people which who were not at the top of the social pecking order in England and so they tended to be warm and supportive of each other. So Liverpool was a very uh, warm place to be brought up in, a very friendly place to, to go in. And that also helped me in my search because I certainly didn't carry any of the airs and graces of someone privileged into the work I did. Um, so. Uh, the, the, the next major step was when I did get a job. It, it fit exactly that need. I got a job in the, in the airlines. Um, I was a management trainee, which is uh, to be a management trainee in British Airways then was like getting a job in the foreign service because you had a, a, a job from the womb to the tomb. You would be uh, a future general manager of BOEC. It was called then British Overseas Airways Corporations. It's now British Airways. Um, and they gave um, a management course 
which is probably the worst course, management course, I've ever heard of. <laughs> uh, it, was, um, it was basically some legal lessons, a uh, couple of financial lessons and economics, but they gave one course, which wasn't a course, it was a paper to write. And we were asked to write, um, what is the effect of management theory on management practice? At my age, I'm still writing that paper. I understand. Um, <laughs> but it, uh, but a, a book did come out of it from that. But it, it changed my life. I suddenly saw that, um, you know, this thing called organization was something I'd never even thought of. You know, mm -hmm. organizations to me were like nature, you know, they're part of nature. And just like the rain in England, bloody awful, and there's not much you could do about them. You know, but this book woke me up and said it was called The Social Psychology of, of, um, of Industry. And it was one of the first books really looking at what is now mod modern management, but through the eyes of a, a social psychologist. And um, it basically said that you, you can really do something about these organizations and the kinds of things you do make people a lot happier, a lot more productive, and it's better for the company. It's not only better for the company, it's better for the community. And it's better. that's, that's no-brainer. Why aren't we doing this, you know? And so, um, I, you know, through that reading, it really set me for my career. And um, I'd say, in British Airways, I had another major learning is that I felt I knew nothing. I didn't, you know, I was just a trainee and we'd had some uh, airline technical training, but you didn't know anything about management and so on. And, um, uh, but I started to get results. I'd only, my first major job outside of training was in, um, uh, at the airport at Rome at Fiumicino and we had um, airlines post, uh, you know British Airways ran all the Commonwealth Airlines too in, in Europe so we had flights coming in from everywhere in Rome from every which direction 24 hours a day and so on and I had no experience in anything that busy and that, that hectic and so um, just started to kind of discover my way. I was doing something which I didn't know I had a word for. In fact, I had to invent one for it eventually, which is a, basically appreciating the situation in some ways. But within six months, um, we had made Rome the best performing airport on British Airways network. Um, and the kind of airports young people like me were sent to were not those that were run by British Airways itself. It was one those that were run by another airline. So you had to work through somebody else to get your results. And that too was probably the best thing for me, the best experience <coughs> I could have because then I never learned to really exercise control because you didn't have any. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What's that? Yeah. 
So, you know, um, so anyway, we got, we got this tremendous performance. I didn't know what, where it come from or what had happened. And from previous training airports and attachments and so on, I, I knew that you could work very hard at something and get really good results, turn your back, look at something else, and the other thing would drop down and everything. But this didn't, it kept, it kept going. Hmm. So, uh, um, and I asked around, and there was a, a, an incident um, somewhere along the way where the manager for, um, general manager for Europe came visiting the station, that's what we call airport station, hmm. and um, he was with my local manager, the manager for, for Rome, who looked at, I looked after the airport and he looked after everything else. And uh, the, uh, uh, the, the group was there and I was walking past on duty in uniform with the three shiny bars. And um, I, I went over to be polite because they were standing there and said, oh, Smith, jolly good. How are you? You know, <laughs> how's the wife? You know, rather enjoying Rome, are you? Yes, sir, of course. Yeah, yeah, sir. And uh, he said, oh, uh, Smith, uh, could you step aside a minute? And I thought, oh, God, they've got the results. They, they know what they're you know? uh, uh, So I'm waiting to try and look my most modest and go, oh, shucks, you know. And um, he said, Smith, I noticed you didn't call your area manager, sir. And I'm from Liverpool, I'm working class, and that's like an attack, so uh, <laughs> we're attacked, we attack. So I attacked back and said, of course I didn't call him, said I know his name. I said, uh, I call passengers by their name when I can, and only when I can't do I call them, sir. And then I realized from the look on his face, oh boy, <laughs> that wasn't smart, you know. And he said, I too, Smith. Um, for health reasons, oh, I, I said, I said to him, uh, one of the reasons I don't call management, uh, you know, people sir, is I missed the military service, compulsory military service, by about uh, three weeks, just because of age, and so I, you know, and, and he said, I too, Smith, did not complete military service, but I call my superiors, sir. Oh, oh, mm -hmm. oh, oh, that's it. That was the day I decided to, um, I was going to leave England. I felt I'd done the best I could. And I thought this was um, a class thing. I got it. This is working class, even though I'd got rid of my Liverpool accent, which you have to do. Um, that you're still noticeably working class and, you know, uh, recognition wasn't going to come your way very easily. And that is actually how I left. And so again, I've got another huge lesson about management, you know, to take on to the next, whatever that is, I, I have to sort it out. And well, with that, let me stop you if I can, Bill, because we're going to take a quick, quick break and that's a perfect way for us to go into it. Good.
So I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We went on the air with Dr. William Smith, the Director of Organizing for Development and International Institute. We've been talking a bit about how he grew up and where he developed his mindset, his unique way of seeing the world, which you're going to see as we go along in the conversation has contributed to his decades long of research and something that he's put forth today that's really remarkable. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to the program. Before we get back into talking with, with Bill Smith about what he's been doing with his life and such, I do want to share with you, if you don't already know it, that I have my first book out on Amazon now. It was, it was brought out last fall. It's called Purpose Ignited, How Inspiring Leaders Ignite Passion and Elevate Cause. Love for you to check it out. I wrote that book to awaken readers to their passion and purpose and help them transform into inspirational leaders who enliven the workplace and elevate the contribution of human beings inside it. And I use that as, as a context for all of my programs, for the most part, my leadership, also, as well as my Grab Your Gusto program. So check it out if you will. Thank you very much. If you're just starting the program, my guest is Dr. William Smith. He's the Director of, of Organizing for Development and International Institute. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So we left off in that last bit there, Bill, with you sharing why, how it was that you decided to leave England and with, that, with that, quote, managerial exchange. So then what happened? Yes. So um, I came to the uh, States to do an MBA, and particularly because there was one sociologist at Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana, um, who was starting to say some things that was awakening me to some of the things I was sensing but didn't have words or understanding to know what I knew he was talking about. Uh, something. And one of the things he was talking about was um, power. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I, he, at that time, power was a forbidden topic. It was, you, you, you couldn't really talk about it, but he had found a way to talk about it academically but it still wasn't to me getting at the root of things but it was saying to me that yes this instinct that you have that power is a really important topic is is worth uh, pursuing um and so the mba for for me was something of a disappointment because i expected to find something about this mystery about what was it that was happening at Rome? I knew it wasn't anything I did in step one, step two, three, step three, before, but there was something with my relationship with Rome and maybe even with the Italian culture or something. It was something broad and fuzzy, but I felt 
you know, if you can get that kind of performance and that kind of time, it's worth spending some time trying to understand the fuzziness of what it is. Um, but I, I left um, Indiana a, a little disappointed that I, I, I wasn't really getting um, that insight into performance. It wasn't being translated away. I learned a computer language and I could see, wow, that was, that was really good. I could see it could doing a lot with that. So um, uh, I ended up then going to work for a consultant and again had some uh, surprising, uh, you know, performance uh, bumps. Uh, for example, I did one of the first, my first consulting studies was for McDonald's and we were meant to do um, industrial engineering type study to determine the causes of high turnover. But being that Liverpudlian with a practical bent, I felt that was a lot of um, analytical effort where the answers were probably a little more simple than that. And that one of the things I noticed was um, at that time franchises were um, really growing. It was a new idea and um, everyone was hiring fresh young white boys as their um, target audience. And of course, there, there weren't enough of them to go around. And so that was one of the major reasons for the labor turnover, not all of these technical reasons and so on. So I brought it up with my uh, principal and everything and he looked at me rather shocked that, you know, how can we high paid uh, consultants go in and make a recommendation that they hire women or girls and so on. That would be, you know, you have to have this superb mathematical um, algorithmic <laughs> rationale uh, for what you're doing. So on my own, without approval of, I went around to some franchise stores, not McDonald's, that did hire women and girls. And I was shocked at what I found that not only was labor turnover a lot better, everything was a lot better. <laughs> you know, just, just hiring women and everything there. So we, we had to spend our time how to turn that common sense insight into facts and figures and, and things that you could sell as a uh, $500,000 study, you know. But that was their problem. <laughs> I, right, right. I had, I had done mine and, and they had done it. So again, there was some disappointment that I, I was not getting a handle on this um, very high performance, at very low cost in very short time. And uh, in a way, I ended up giving up saying, well, you know, I expected to find something from academia. I didn't. Then I went to consulting and effect said so they're between academia and practice. So I'll find something from them. And I didn't. So I said, I'll give up and go back into industry and join the international division of a pharmaceutical company then started creating this management development program, which would include all the kind of rational things that I was learning and so on. 
And we did that. And lo and behold, we got another room. Our Canadian operations just blossomed under this program. We called it MPP, Management Planning Program. And the essence of it was really very simple, just bringing together, in, in those days, this was something very new, just bringing them together to talk through the issues and go through the levels of, of um, problem solving systematically. And it worked uh, tremendously. And uh, so in the international division, then I tried to do something similar and did a study and there is a paper, and it is on the website of this study where we did, of the whole organization then to look at um, how was it doing in terms of evolution, you know, of what it was, what it's trying to become, and how is it becoming it. And um, uh, it was a big, the study was a big success, and uh, it was like classic research, you know. And so I was going around the world, you know, to each of the areas, explaining the results of this study. But it had zero effect on, on the company. Because what happened is each area would take from the study the things that supported what it wanted to do. Mm -hmm. It would do them and so on. Uh, but it wouldn't affect also there's that was my realization that classic research doesn't get people to opt, opt for, you know, performance. And there was, then I came to the conclusion that organizations are not run on norms of rationality. But now I had my true lead. What they are run on is norms of power. And I thought my mentor, my MBA mentor had said that in his book. And I remember quoting that, and I remember someone reading it and said, well, we've, we've gone through James D. Thompson's book, Organizations, and we can't find what you said. And I realized he hadn't said it. I said it, but it, it was so, it, the thought was so indebted to him mm. that I thought he'd actually said it, and so on. So, okay, I'll take credit for it. <laughs> that's mine. So, um, so that's where uh, the idea for power came from and uh, because this wasn't getting anywhere and GD cell was going through uh, a, a lot of uh, you know five-year turmoil that reorganizations that they go through so I took advantage to and you know an offer that they would um, keep me on as a consultant while I did a PhD and I went to Wharton because there were three people whose um, work I knew totally separately, and I had no idea they knew each other, but, and certainly not that they were in the same university, but they were in the same program in the same university. And one was a very famous operations research person, Russell Acuff. Another one was a fellow Englishman from uh, the Tavistock Institute in England that had invented uh, socio-technical systems ideas and a third one who actually ended up having the most practical use on me was a, was a Turk he was from he was at the club of he'd been at the club of Rome and 
he'd been working on planning at the time when the Soviet Union was collapsing because of the failure of its five-year planning process. Mm -hmm. And he'd come up with a planning process which is much more dynamic and so on. And that was a big breakthrough for me because I then realized that um, hey, uh, in studying organization, and I still regard myself as an organization specialist, um, it's not about structure. It's one dimension higher than that. It's about structure changing over time. And so you've got to have that other level in there of time um, changing things. So it's not enough to fix the structures because they're going to change and so you need a process view of organization so that had a tremendous impact on me and uh, went into uh, my thinking um, but again it was it was uh, time to leave I done I did oh well, I did the PhD okay and then um, then the, the real um, insight happened now that I understood that power is at the center. Um, I was trying to study it as part of my PhD, but uh, the most intellectual and the most uh, forceful and aggressive of the professors was Ross Acuff. and he, he had just said, uh, power is not a topic worth studying. It was looked at in the 50s, and everyone said it would be, um, it, you know, something great, but it turns out it'd be nothing. You know, when it's in everything, it's really nothing. And I said, well, I believe the rules of the game for us as PhD students is that we bring in the topics that we're interested in exploring. So I'm still interested in exploring this. So, <laughs> uh, and, well, he wouldn't speak for me for three weeks. In fact, it, it was my turn to be about three or four weeks uh, running the... Um, the learning cell, they called them, and um, eventually brought something in which happened to be based on an equation. Is Ralph Emerson's equation that says um, the power of A over B equals the dependence of B on A. Hmm. So it's really, and so I thought, wow. The first thing that told me, and the first thing I realized that my first big insight on power was that power is a relationship mm -hmm. it is not a quantity it is a relationship so that then opened the project particularly as they're having a real problem they just started social projects like um, population and health and mm -hmm. so on whereas up to hold that hold that thought dr smith um sorry we want to grab our last break and you set us up perfectly to be able to treat the last bit here so let's go ahead and do that okay. i'm your host dr elise cortez we're on the air with dr william smith the director of organizing for development and international institute we've been hearing about the ongoing unfoldment of his of his career and his mind in this last session after the break we're going to hear more about his actual work and the model that he's put forth and what he's, what he's working on to develop it further today stay with us we'll be right back Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. 
To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. One other bit of news that I want to share with you is that just uh, about a month ago now, we have released uh, my second book, which is a, an anthology. It's called Passionately Striving and Why, an anthology of women persevere mindedly to live their purpose. And I'm so proud of it, I could bust. I recruited 25 women from around the world to share their intimate story of how they discovered their purpose and how they're now serving from it. And the reason we're doing that, the reason this is out there, is we want to showcase that purpose is available to anyone, anywhere in the world, regardless of socioeconomic background or status, language, religion, whatever it is, and that it works amazing wonders when you actually work from it. So it's out there on Amazon now, too. Check it out, Passionately Striving and Why. If you're just joining us, my guest is Dr. William Smith. He's the Director of Organizing for Development and International Institute. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So we, you were just teasing us with this notion that you'd come to do a, a consultancy project for the World Bank, and they were expecting you to bring brilliance from, from Wharton, and you were taking and going to start working on social issues. Yes, yes, and um, uh, at the same time I'd been going through this evolution of what is organization and um, that power is central to it, and yet, it, th- th- there aren't any really good concepts of power. There are about eight or nine different models that are not connected with each other and all the rest of it. And, um, but as part of my own personal learning, um, Eric Trist, who uh, was from socio-technical systems, himself had been moving on and he was beginning to look at um, you know, that the organization in its environment, so it's social ecology. So he had a model, a way of looking at organizations as the internal environment of the organization, which is the organization itself, then its relationship with a new word that was just coming in called stakeholders, and then um, with the community. And so he showed for me the first thing, one of the biggest mistakes I've been making with organization and one of the biggest mistakes that's still getting made with organizations is by thinking that the organization is, is bounded by its boundaries and as long as you have everything working okay in those boundaries, everything is okay. And where Eric was telling me quite bluntly, look, Bill, you are never going to find the answer to organizations and organizational performance within the organization you have to go outside so then had three places to go outside and he'd call them internal transactional and contextual and in the world bank i introduced that idea and and wrote a paper on it was very popular but a practitioner came up to me one day and said look bill this um it's nice that what you're doing and what you're doing is right because you're taking us out from a concentration on the, on the, on the uh, project and going out into its influence environment and out into its transactional. 
but I, I'm an agriculturist and I go out and work with farmers and peasants every day. I can't ask them, how's your transactional environment today? We need <laughs> other words, you know. And instantly, because uh, I, I don't think I mentioned my first degree was in modern languages, so I was very sensitive to the use of language and understood, you know, the structure of um, Anglo-Saxon words, which are very uh, practical and down-to-earth, and Latin words, which are a lot to do with food and sophisticated things, and then the, the big contextual words were philosophical ones, and they're Greek, so I realized we needed some Anglo-Saxon words to describe what we were doing. And that's where I came up with uh, the three words, or I came up within 20 minutes of that realization, we came up with two words to decide what's going on inside the organization as control, um, and then what's going on with um, the new word, stakeholders, <coughs> was influence. But we couldn't think of a, a word for what was going on in the context, and I think mean, it took us months. And we eventually got it from the most unlikely source from the British military, is uh, they'd have you know, the, the British had the, all their colonies to look after, so they had to worry all the time about the context, you know, and all the context within those contexts and so on. So they'd send people out like Lawrence of Arabia, and his job was to go to Arabia and appreciate the whole situation. So looking at everything and in relationship to all of British interests, whether it was poetry, whether it was cricket, whether it was uh, whatever. And so I realized that was the word I needed. It was appreciation. That's what we're asking to do. So then I had then this model. And it was, um, we applied it to projects where we were basically very simply just getting to stop looking at projects as projects and start looking at them as a set of relationships that they control, control, but no more than a third of things you could control. Then there's a whole set of things outside of that that you could influence but not control. And then there's a whole set of things that are bigger than anything else that um, affected what you wanted to do, but you couldn't control them, nor could you influence them. But that was the biggest set of things that you had to deal with. And so just the fact of looking at projects like this, and I want to reiterate for our readers, because I'd like this to be their takeaway, is, you know, in your organizational life, in fact, in your life in general, if you just think of everything in terms of those things you can control, uh, those things you can't control, but you can influence them, and then all those other things, um, and lots of them you don't know what they are, but just being open and listening for them and everything, there's nothing active, it's more or less like a Chinese leadership, or at least Asian leadership. It's, leading from behind through understanding the setting is there. So that then in, um, in practice became a very successful effort and we eventually started applying it to from single projects to whole sectors of the economy to whole countries 
and then to the whole of the um, global development system itself, where we um, got 10 countries together to discuss uh, a new development paradigm, which is a new way of looking at, at this uh, at the world through this purpose-centered approach because one of the the academic discoveries and made which assumed very practical was when I looked at those three circles of power I asked myself well that's fine there's a control domain there's a influence domain and there's a, they're all power domains but where the hell does the power come from and whereas it had taken me about uh, three or four months to come up with the term appreciation, the answer to that question came back just as sharp as anything and with uh, like a thunderous clap that, that could be and a, and a turbulence um, that says uh, it comes from purpose. Mm -hmm. But the implications of that were so huge that it's, it's still taking me time to um ra uh, wrestle with it now so to come a across Alice who's been thinking about this too for a, a while and, and be able to share um, the enormity of uh, understanding that um, purpose so um, I'm also a fan of Lao Tzu and the Tao Te Ching and he says um, and you go from the one, which he says is the, the Tao, which is like, it's like purpose in a way, it's the way. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, the two is the Te, which is the uh, way things get done, which is a bit like power. And the Ching is like order. And things. So now I'm able to say and understand that you can go from purpose as the one to three kinds of power or to power which is two and then that the fact that there are three kinds of power make it three and those three things will create everything else so all relationships um, that make everything else go around are contained in combinations of those three relationships mm. So I'm, I'm sure there's some things other than that uh, you'd like me to, to say. Oh, I yeah. think. Yes, the color theory for sure. And we have yeah. about, gosh, maybe um, four minutes left. Yeah, okay. Well, the color theory was very easy. If you say that purpose is the one and it splits into three things, which are appreciation, influence, and control, well, in the world of color, the same thing happens. Purpose is like white light, and it splits into three colors, RGB, red, green, and blue. That's light, not paint, is there. And so you can, I could found that I could have matching colors for every one of the concepts, because we ended up with a matrix that's got three levels of purpose in, which is ideals, values, and then goals. And then we have three types of power going along the, the columns at the left. 
which is appreciation, influence, and control. So we have purpose being made up of nine things, and every purpose has those nine things in them. And those things can all be represented accurately by a color um, there. So that, that comes to the, the last thing, which I didn't expect to be saying today, is that that has also led to the discovery of what uh, we in systems have been looking for forever, which is what is the system behind all systems? They call it the general systems theory. Well, I don't think we found the general systems theory. I don't think anyone will, but we have found a system of all systems uh, and all of that in the last couple of weeks. But it's based on those simple things three levels of purpose, ideals, values, and goals, with three levels of purpose, appreciation, influence, and control, give you all the factors that you need to understand, evaluate, and design anything. That is remarkable. And then add that, here you are working on a periodic table of living system elements. Yes. is. Um, the obvious thing was then, once you have those nine things, they are the order, and everyone's got those things inside them, uh, but they come out in a different order. Like, not everyone moves from appreciation towards control or from ideals to values. They're all mixed up in different orders. And so if you count how many possible orderings there are of nine things, it's 362,880. That means there's enough for ever a different one for, for everyone. So we all have our own ordering, but of the same things. So one of the messages for us all is that we have to deal with the whole of purpose. That's all nine, not just the one and two we like. It's the ones we don't like as well. Uh, not necessarily equally important, but have to be dealt with equally in the sense that you, you've got to do them justice. So if your best thing is economics and your last thing is aesthetics, you can't just throw aesthetics out. Or you could be um, Apple without its iPhone, you know. Um, and uh, so, you know, that's where we are now is... And Dr. Smith, this has been beautiful. We've come to the end already. So this, what you've done is you've narrated your journey and helped us get to understand how it is that you arrived at this model after decades of work. It's amazing. In the last, say, 30 seconds, what would you like to leave our listeners with, our viewers with? Um, I, I think it's uh, basically a simple one-sentence method. So in everything you do, try to balance appreciation influence and control because it's it's one thing to attend to your ideals values and goals but where we actually go wrong is as we go through those we kind of get either feel very powerful or not powerful but we get out of kilter with power and thinking of appreciation influence and control is thinking about the whole of power the whole of power is appreciation and control, but it's, it's manifest totally differently 
But if you learn how those three are manifest, and then you get the habit of checking out with each of them when you're doing things, you may be a controller and prefer control, but unless you practice appreciation as well, you will not be successful with your control, mm. so on. So that's the message. So in everything you do, balance the use of appreciation, influence, and control. Wonderful. Bill, thank you very much. What a beautiful man, beautiful mind, beautiful heart. I'm so happy to share you with my listeners and viewers and elevate their consciousness with your thinking and contribution. Thank you for being on the show. Okay, and thank you. So welcome. Listeners, thank you to the listeners. Absolutely. If you want to learn more about this remarkable man and his work, it's really quite profound. I promise you, I've been studying it. It's quite profound. I want you to check it out. If you go to his website, it's it's odii.com. So four four letters, odii.com. Check out his books, his articles, give it a read. Look at his color theory as well. It's quite fascinating. And thanks again to our partnering sponsor, WorkProud, which helps companies build a platform where your workforce receives meaningful feedback. And thanks for their work from people across your company. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch it via recorded podcast. We are on the air with Cindy Tysinger, the founder and chief culture officer of Regenerous, which is a woman-owned, woman-led, heart-centered, and science-based social impact community. Truly a riveting and inspiring conversation of just how much difference business can do in the world, especially when its operations are architected with purpose and consciousness, consciousness and capitalism in mind. Conscious capitalism, excuse me. Next, we'll be on the air with Lisa Gable. She's the author of Turnaround, How to Change Course When Things Are Going South. A perfect conversation for companies and leaders who need to change course and how they can do so. See you there. Remember that works at least a third of our life, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll create a world where business operates conscientiously, leadership inspires impassioned performance, and employees are fulfilled in work that provides the meaning and purpose they crave. See you there. Let's work on purpose.